0: Welcome to Mythos Podcast, a journey through world folklore, region by region, country by country. Here you will experience folk tales and legends through music-accompanied retellings of traditional lore. With brief introductions, the emphasis is on the stories and the rich landscapes and cultures that birth them. Enjoy the riches of the folk imagination. Welcome to Folklorica Baltica, an exploration of folkloric realms in Lithuania, Latvia, and Estonia. Tales from the Amber Sea, Part 1 the Fisherman and the Sea Queen. Introduction. The mythic origin tales of Baltic amber are full of magic, and the prehistory of the golden umber resin stone is no less awe-inspiring. This pine tree resin was fossilized about 45 million years ago during a period of intense warmth that caused the pines to exude huge amounts of sap. There is an inherent enchantment in handling something that warms to the touch and is the remnant of a prehistoric coniferous forest. Even more otherworldly are those pieces of amber that contain the tiny remains of this ancient and almost mythical past. Oak leaf bits, tiny twigs, pollen, and other plant detritus found itself preserved in the resin which hardened over millions of years. Even ancient insects have been encapsulated in the golden substance. No wonder, then, that the Baltics, where this fey stone can be found in particular abundance, was the site of trade for many thousands of years. And In this episode, we will dive into a Lithuanian origin myth for this precious stone. Amber was forged and dispersed by great movements and forces of nature global climate and massive ancient glaciers. In today's story, the heavens themselves will move the hearts of men with omens and destroy them with great fury. Perkunas, the powerful deity of sky with all its infinite and soaring depth, makes himself known in storm and thunderbolt. The etvarai, translated kite, "...appears to a fisherman on the tops of trees, for as the custodians of the atmosphere they belong in high places. Their very name, Eitvarai, contains ideas of dynamic force and extremely fast movement, and can also mean passing, restless, and sling. Indeed, as we venture into the amber-laden waters of the Baltics, we will meet beings of just such a nature." Some will gather all the great vigor of their being from the depths of the heavens. Others, the Undine, the great sea goddess Euratia, her servants, draw their beautiful and terrible magic from the depths of the sea. summer fire blazed the dawn sky by the Baltic Sea, and the young fisherman, Castidas, picked up a piece of amber, the light of a young day nimbusing the autumnal gold of the stone. Rich and deep was the stone, rich and deep with eons of Sole's aura and infinite sea caresses. Holding up to the pine-climbing sun, he felt a warmth irradiating from the stone onto his fingertips. Perhaps this fishing excursion would be blessed. And while he thought this, he noticed a strange, lizard-like scuttling and creeping in the treetops. He lowered the amber and narrowed his eyes, and in gaps between the pine-laden branches, flashes of reddish-orange and flame-yellow scurried in and out of view. "'and Castidas gasped when he saw, "'emerging from a thicket of pine needles "'at the top of the tree, a flame. "'At first he felt a tinge of panic "'because the little hut he and his mother shared "'were between those trees. "'But as he stared, "'he realized that the flame danced and radiated, "'but did not catch or spread. "'Indeed, the fisherman smiled with surprise "'when he realized that in the midst of the flame "'was a roundish head wide, dark eyes, abyss eyes with the fathomage of sea and sky, as thick as rich black mud. And when they darted and glided amongst the treetops, it was as if they had been hurled by the sling of a sky god, for they moved with such dynamic speed that they seemed to blur in and out of existence. Eight varay, Castitas whispered and gripped the amber in his palm, wondering at a morning rich, drenched in auspicious signs. These spirit kites of earth and sky breathed and swallowed fire, water, air, and earth, and were the children of ancient fertile voids. And when he remembered the story of vader that had fallen in love with a village virgin, and had whisked her away to his mansion in the sky, he could think of nothing but... "'possibility and riches, "'the womb of sky and sea "'yielding from nothing. "'Ah, such hope budded "'in his poor fisherman's heart. "'Why, even the moon "'was waxing crescent, "'and as he had walked "'through the forest the day before, "'he had wondered "'at the deepness of the greens, "'the thickness of the thickets, "'and the polyphony "'of song and buzz. "'Such a strong pull "'this waxing crescent moon "'had on its earth, sister. "'And though his stomach dropped "'when he remembered the rents due to the Duke, "'and though he felt sharp nerve-jolts "'at the thought of the Duke's Letice knocking on the door "'with outstretched hands that had need of nothing, "'well, with the opulence of jeweled colors in the sky "'and the shining glass of the sea "'and the luxurious velvet of moss,' With the sea token of mellow sunstone in his palm, and the energetic darting of primordial wind and fire in the trees, and even the night before, the waxing crescent moon beaming growth and pulling at all living things, well, the fisherman knew now was the time to take his boat and his net, and the blessings of unknown generations of ancestors, out to sea. And so during this crescendo of abundance and the great symphony of celestial movements and Terran growth, Castidus examined his net, every bump and kink of mending, flaring up memories of, of his father and his grandfather, their rough hands mending nets, and their rough voices telling of sea magic. And one memory made Castidus pause in his work, still with the hypnosis of memory. At just such a time, when the moon pulled on root and womb, his grandfather had told him of a fay fishing spot where the most ancient of pines jutted up along the coast and the fine sanded dunes whispered white breath. There, one could find fish in thick silvery schools and always, always, many netfuls of fish could be had. But Grandad had warned "'through a throat that had been buffeted by thousands of icy winds "'and years of salty spray. "'In such a voice Grandad had warned him, "'Such places must be fished with care, child, "'for a grand lady of sea power dwells there, "'whispers the great tides, "'and breathes out all the vast flurry of cod, "'herring in place. "'Great sleek whales and prowling sharks "'are her very being in musculature.' Yes, Yerate and her domain must be respected. Castidas pushed his boat out, jumping in with his net, for he knew exactly the spot. And surely with such auspicious signs surrounding him, he would be safe from harm. The sea would yield his rents, and he and his mother would be left in peace in their grass-roofed hut. So, to the face spot he went and where the grandest of the pines stood tall and the fine sanded dunes whispered white breath. The young fisherman stood in his boat and cast the net, his own form as strong and agile as a sapling. And within seconds, the weight of the net dragged his arms over the side of the boat, and he heaved a writhing, water-slick hull of fish, plump with Jurate's abyss-conjuring. "'nourished by the dark, briny weight of Virate's infinite domain. "'So, Castidus's mind and body and soul became submerged "'in the goddess's copious bounty, "'was so entrenched in the feeling of the heavy nets "'and his eyes so dazzled by the sun-glinted fish "'that he forgot his grandfather's warning. "'If he had been a bit older, a bit more cautious,' He might have noticed a strange glinting in the uncannily clear waters. He might have noticed in the rare moments where the schools of fish thinned, flashes of something like walls and towers, rich and deep with aeons of Soleil's aura and infinite sea caresses. He might have seen how the fish whirled beautiful formations around a stone of earth and umber and halcyonic gold around a structure of amber with its own internal light. And as the net was cast with unthinking enthusiasm time and time again, the young man did not notice the reddish sun descending, did not notice that in his humble boat, he was riding upon the gentle exhalations of a sleeping beast. He should have been wary of this great being of water and tide, that had claimed his father with one tiny gulp, like a frog swallowing a water-gliding insect. Just the tiny dot of a man whose swallowed hopes and dreams and past and present and future had been silently and suddenly ingested. What Castitas did not notice was that the waxing crescent moon, now hovering with silver silence in the black night, that this moon was tilted, resembling a boat, and in the grass hut far down the shore his mother did notice this ill omen and wept and prayed for her son's return. the tilted moon glowed pockmarked like a sliver of spectral fish. For this night Mother had just returned from the underworld, where she shed glowing pathways from her own being to guide the descending dead. Indeed, had young Castidus not been so engrossed in his work, he might have noticed this grim fairy gliding on the deep waters of the night sky. And in the deep waters of the Ember Sea... Another mother noticed the thinning of her rippling, playful clouds of moon-flecked fish. Noticed that a haphazard darting and scurrying had disrupted their usual symphonic flow. On the surface of her ocean-forged skin she felt an irritating and persistent poking and scratching, and its sharp, minute intrusion seemed like a perversion in the bass notes of the deep sea. Yerate cast her soul-vision into the surface of the deep and surveyed the great doorway of her kingdom, and saw the greedy splash of a net. With an angry heart beating like a massive drum, the Sea Queen called out, seemed to summon in the language of fish and abyss, and then from the darkened caverns and ocean fields of waving seaweed and labyrinthine passageways, in the Amber Palace, there came the voiceless reply of fins and arms in golden tresses coursing with sharp speed towards the Ocean Mother. And if one could have dived to such depths, human eyes would have seen Leviathan figures shadowed in night waters. And as they flowed towards their queen and mother, the strange, umber-gold nimbus of the Amber Palace would have shed wavering spotlights onto scaled tails with sinewy musculature, with overlapping silvery-green fish armor merging into shrimp pale flesh. Once Jurata's most dear friends and servants moved into the light of the Ember Palace, a human mind might have been broken at the sight of these things. With naked torsos and arms and shoulders that could crack open a man's skull with such force and beauty. Undina, she addressed them, you must go warn the stupid boy that my patience is wearing thin. And so they went with swift movements to the surface, leaving the great queen in the Ember Palace brooding. And into the night, the tilted moon glowed pockmarked like a sliver of spectral fish, and the silver mother traced her ill omen across the sky. And had young Castidas not been so engrossed in his work, he might have noticed this grim fairy gliding on the deep waters of the night sky. And he might have noticed the great, prolesque swells of breast, shoulder, and hip rising above the water. But he was distracted, for the pile of fish in his boat was enough to pay debts, enough to live without the Duke's man hammering his fist on the door of their grass hut. Castidas did notice, though, when something large shot out of the water, and in a moonlight-laden flash an enormous tail with overlapping silvery-green fish armor Merging into shirt and pale flesh, this arced gracefully over his boat and plunged without even a splash into the water next to his boat. And with a burst of slithery, watery grace, numerous Undina leapt, arched and dove into the grim waters around his boat. And Castida stood for a moment in awe and fear all long tresses and lush curves and water-forged musculature and bottom-feeder translucence. First, they sang moaning dirges, a bellowing as if from the mouth of a leviathan came from their shapely lips, and Castida shivered, seeing an opaque blackness in their open mouths that held infinite, deadly magic. Funeral songs they sang, "'for the lush and mighty schools of flashing fish "'that used to whirl and dance "'around the spires of the Ember Palace. "'And in one siren-powerful voice "'they pleaded with him to stop, "'to take himself and his net back to shore. "'But the fisherman, thinking of his grass hut "'and that summer would surely turn into autumn "'and autumn into winter, "'thinking of the Duke's man demanding his rent swell,' Castitas squared his shoulders and threw his nets into the water. Then, the Undine placed their smooth, shapely arms on the edge of the boat, placing their chins on their hands and pouting their lips at him. Some lifted their statuesque torsos from the water and sang songs of desire that even stubborn Castitas could not help but listened to with a salivating mind. But the young fisherman plugged his ears with his fingers and closed his eyes. And when he opened them, he saw snarls on their bloodless lips and their flashing eyes as intense as silver melted in a forge. Their anger flared beast strength into their arms and torsos and shoulders, muscles and ligaments forged by taut impatience. The undina, in perfect timing, began circling around the boat, first creating silver water trails, beautiful and linear like lunar etchings. Castitas stood still, wondering what they were up to, his shoulders and jaw tight. Then, as they circled faster and faster and faster, Castitas felt a tug on the stern of his boat, and he gripped the side of the boat to steady himself looking down into the water, where a whirlpool clearly had the boat in its grip. Faster and faster the undine swam, and Castidus' boat spun with such force that he felt vertigo deep, deep in the space between his eyes. The boat creaked with force, and Castidus hung onto the edge of the boat, feeling yet a fiercer current pulling downward. The young fisherman tried gripping the tilted boat moon in the sky with his spinning vision. But even this seemed to shake and whirl. A terrible ordeal, what with the spinning and the pulling and the Andina's shrieking threats. Then, after a time interminable, they stopped. Only their liquid silver eyes above the water. With trembling legs, the fishermen stood, and remembering his grass hut, his mother, and his rents, he threw the net back into the sea with trembling arms. Queen Urata sat fuming as the thinning schools of fish whirled half-hearted formations around that stone of earth and umber and halcyonic gold. And she was not surprised when her undine returned to report that their threats and seductions had it made a dent in the prideful mortal's resolve. So, the Lady of the Sea rose from her amber throne and unfurled the full length of her terror and beauty. Water sculpted with the smoothest lines of waist and hip, she flowed and rippled like lunar glow on the ocean surface. And it was not only her beauty that could submerge the mortal mind in the smothered hum silence of the depths. It was also fins and arms and golden tresses coursing with shark speed towards the surface. It was her leviathan figure shadowed in night waters, her whale powerful tail with behemoth musculature, with overlapping silvery green fish armor merging into shrimp pale flesh. For Urate was very much. Like her beloved Undine, but with magics infinitely deeper, magics that could swell her form to towering heights. And it was this form that broke the surface of the deep and loomed over Castitas whose back was turned, but who felt something behind him and was too terrified to turn around. If this was to be his end, he would at least go out doing what many a sea-swallowed fisherman had done before him. Fish and sing the danas, the songs that sung through a person, so alive they were with ancestral personality. Though his voice trembled, he slowly pulled in his net and sang. Now, the dana that manifested themselves through his vocal cords felt strange and beautiful and wholly alien yet wholly familiar something of ancestral import that coursed in the blood rather than the memory. The tune both chant and melody, and the words felt totemic, as if the song had bound up within it all the emotion and import of every festival, birth, and funeral song ever crooned by the long line of fisher people before him. And Jurate herself was stilled, and as the song gathered force and sang itself through the fishermen, sang of human life, of boyhood, sang of the waters of birth and babies for splashes in Mother Sea, sang of the live boy swinging in time with Easter's, a dancing morning sun, of the delicious fear of Shrove Tuesday masqueraders with creature masks of wood, sheep's wool, and animal skulls. Of the burgeoning young man who danced around a midsummer bonfire and snuck into the midnight woods seeking the magic fern. Then the song sang its sadness of the poor fisherman who wanted nothing more than to keep himself and his mother snug in their tiny grass drift hut by the sea they loved. And the sea queen was moved. And with a surge of passion, the song sang of a happy ending, of a strong and beautiful maiden being caught in the fisherman's nets. And when he released her with tender care, she decided to stay. And it seemed to Yurate that this fisherman was a most beautiful channel for the spirit of the Denas to flow, like the streams of the kakle plucked by a master. In this mortal was a soul of great antiquity, a heritage-bearer of great strength and charity. Indeed, a master of form and grace had sculpted this young man, and Eurate breathed out her anger, the eclipse of her leviathan form waning, until she tread water with fish grace in the form of a woman. And the lady of the sea swam up to the boat and drew herself up on its edge, where Castidas was staring at her in wonder and desire. And when she kissed him and breathed the magic into his lungs, he did not resist. And when she beckoned him into the water and drew him down into the depths, he did not fear. In all the wise and ancient Dainas of the world, no one has told, and perhaps no one knows, how long Yurata and Castidas dwelled and loved and played amongst the palace's walls and towers, rich and deep, with the aeons of Sole's aura and infinite sea caresses. Who can now how long they watched the fish whirl beautiful formations around a stone of earthen umber, ...and halcyonic gold around a structure of amber with its own internal light. How long did they dive and chase and caress in dark sea caves and waving kelp? How long did they walk and gaze and wonder at the many strange beings... ...encapsulated in the golden umber of the Amber Palace's walls? Whatever the length of time during this happy stretch... ...they did not notice a grimy pitch of anger brewing in the skies above. Had Jurata's senses not been so pleasurably bruised and dulled by Castidus's muscular form gliding amongst silvery fish and under whale bellies, she might have noticed the heralding shriek of the eight vare, the sky serpents, plunge into the water like a cannonball. And had Castidas' mind not been so hypnotized by the magic of the sea queen's pale flesh, he might have heard the thundering drum of Perkunas in the dome of the heaven, swirling with charcoal and slate clouds. For Perkunas raged against this union of the divine sea lady and this fisherman with dirty fingernails and the smell of fish always about him. The sky brute's anger burst from his nose and mouth as tempest-black birds that span the sky and beat their wings into a tornado frenzy. A wrecking wind began to blow, and his indignation burst upon the sea below. Only then were man and goddess shaken from their reverie, only when the clap and boom of the storm's war dance shattered the tranquil depths. Only when a great screeching white-hot bolt penetrated the sea, sending boiling aftershocks as it coursed through the wine-dark ocean. And both huddled in terror as the lightning spear sent waves of heralding heat, melting the turrets of the Amber Palace. And when the bolt struck, a shockwave exploded the walls and towers into infinite grains of amber sand. Summer fire blazed the dawn sky by the Baltic Sea, and Castidus' mother walked the shore, wearing her best white lace-edged kerchief in mourning for her son. She picked up a piece of amber, the light of a young day nimbusing the autumnal gold of the stone. Rich and deep was the stone, rich and deep with eons of Sole's aura and infinite sea caresses. Holding it up to the pine-climbing sun, She felt a warmth radiating from the stone onto her fingertips. And as she examined the smooth piece of amber, she was struck by just how much it looked like a teardrop. It even had one flat smooth edge, as if it had slid down someone's cheek. And much to Mother's surprise, there were more, more of these amber tears scattered around the beach. And feeling that the world did indeed share in her lonely sorrow, Castidas's mother sank down and lay upon the soft sand and wept. And Eurata wept with her, chained to the remains of her amber palace, every day looking at the breathless body of Castidus and shedding amber tears. If you're wanting a bit more than monthly episodes and like the sound of engaging with the stories of the folk more deeply and creatively, of restoring the ancient practice of listening to and responding to traditional tales, then the upcoming Your Story Heritage course might be for you. If that's the case, right now before you forget, click on the link in the show notes and then click on the orange register your interest button. Just write me a quick note to say that you're interested in participating and if you have a second, maybe why. I plan to format the course in a way that meets the needs of schedules across many time zones. So I'm gonna use a combination of pre-recorded sessions that will be um, on demand and also live monthly get together. So no matter where you're listening, please do register your interest. I also plan to use a membership platform where you can connect with like-minded people from all over the globe and share your insights, creative projects, and more. There's so much more to my research than I can possibly fit into an episode, and I'd love to share it with you through an online course. As always, if you enjoyed this episode, consider please, please, please making a one-time donation at mythospodcast.com or by becoming a patron on Patreon. Uh, links are always going to be in the show notes. And next month, chilling creature lore from across all three Baltic nations in celebration of October and the lengthening nights, and of course, Halloween.